This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Music has such a, a powerful way of drawing us into the Lord. And uh, worship music especially is just such a, a meaningful way of, of, of praising God. It's such an enriching part of our relationship with Him to, to lift our voices together and, and acknowledge the greatness of the Lord together. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in, in, in a relatively small church. My grandmother played the piano and the organ, not at the same time, just depending on the need. That Sunday, she would play one or the other. And she was a highly skilled musician. They, she had a piano and an organ in her living room. And when we would go and visit, occasionally she would be practicing for Sunday. And I got to see her uh, play and the organ with the foot pedals. And the, uh, it was just, it's it, a lot of skill required. My mother played piano very well. She could sit down and just play uh, beautiful music. And so as, as a, a kid, my mother gave me piano lessons herself these practice books, and piano in the house. And I remember as a, a little guy dreading those hours on the piano bench, the right hand position, good posture, working through the tedious monotony of scales and reading music and counting time and hearing how wrong I was every time I made a mistake. I just, I dreaded the, the, the discipline of practice, repetition, and, and it, it was such a burden to me. And, and in the midst of that, that, that practice, I lost sight of the life-enriching quality of what music is, especially when, when we're worshiping the Lord, what, what connection comes through that experience of worship. When we think about spiritual discipline, when we think about the holy habits of life that draw us into the Lord, there are times when it's difficult for us to appreciate the life-enriching quality of that habit because the beginning of that habit is, is the disciplined practice that we must engage in to learn it and to make it a part of our lives and to cement it into our routine. And we get wrapped up in, in the work and the monotony and the repetition of what these practices are for us. We have to remind ourselves of, of, of the relationship with the Lord that comes, the closeness that comes, spending time in his presence and growing from the way that he fills us as we spend time in his word and spend time in prayer and spend time developing who we are in him and growing toward maturity and faithful obedience. God works in us in ways that are amplified multiplied and intensified by our faithful obedience to the disciplines and practices and habits that he instructs us to participate in in his word. Today we're going to talk about evangelism as a spiritual discipline, as a holy habit that should be a part of our, of our daily lives and, and hope to remind us of the life-enriching quality of what it is to participate in this calling, this commission that we have from the Lord 
Even though I know that for, for many of us, stepping into these conversations with people is very much a chore. It's like, like cleaning the bathroom, washing the dishes. When we think about, about being an extrovert and engaging in conversation and talking about our faith and inviting people to accept Christ, for many of us, it's very difficult. It, it calls us out of our comfort zone. It calls us to do things that we would really rather not doing. And while we're learning it, it, it feels like a chore. But our hope is to be filled, to be guided, to be enriched in a way that we can recognize the value that's present in this practice and faithfully follow through. We're going to begin today in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. The scripture that, that you've probably heard of as the Great Commission, this, this instruction from Jesus about the process of evangelism. Let's read together. Uh, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, I would encourage you to do so. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you'd like to use the YouVersion app, you can op open the app and on a phone or tablet. Search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes for our message today in the YouVersion app. After calling his disciples up to a mountain to meet him, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now you'll notice that your, your bulletin also has a printout of this scripture. So today as we conclude our series, we're going to kind of tie together some of the other uh, habits we've been talking about. And so as we talk about the meaning of this passage, I want to encourage you to underline and circle, just draw all over this, this passage of scripture in your bulletin so that you can get accustomed to the practice of studying words and develop, drawing meaning out of the organization of, of language. I want to start our understanding of this passage thinking about the, the context that we find these words. This, this is the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is right before Jesus ascended into heaven. These are among the last words he spoke to his disciples. There's, there's significance to these instructions, significance to these words that he gave them before uh, ascending, leaving the earth. And here's how he began, talking about authority. If you want to underline that word authority, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Given to him by who? Well, the one who has the right to provide that authority. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, gave authority to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth. Every imaginable authority. Therefore, and we have this conjunction that ties what comes before and what, what comes after. Because of that authority, therefore, Jesus says, go. Now think about the significance of the way Jesus provided those instructions. There, here's authority, therefore, go. Not because of the skill that you have as my disciples, I want you to go and make more disciples. He didn't say to this group of men, because you're so well equipped for the task, because you're so connected to people around town, because you have such a strong influence, I want you to go and make disciples. He said, no. All authority has been given to me. And because of that authority, I want you to go and make disciples. And we remember this passage when we think about who we are, when we 
are faithful to these instructions that Jesus provides as we take part in the process of evangelism. It's not so much about who we are in the process. And sometimes we worry about whether or not we have enough information. Sometimes we worry about, about what words we're going to say if we know enough about the Bible to do a good job. Sometimes we worry about our personality if we're an introvert or an extrovert and how that's going to impact the way that we communicate to other people. And, and we need to remember that we're, we're not sent out to make disciples because Jesus is confident about how good we're going to be at doing that. We're sent out to make disciples because he has the authority to send us. Because as we, as we go and we're faithful, we're sent out by his power and authority to simply be faithful and obedient to what he's calling us to do. And therefore, we need to go. This active, urgent role we need to take part in. Go. And there's a directional quality to these instructions. And he was on a mountaintop with his disciples and said, go and make disciples. Well, obviously they had to leave that place to make disciples. Everybody standing there with Jesus was already a faithful follower. And if they're going to go and make disciples, they needed to leave that place and go to do that thing. And we need to remember that when we go to make disciples, that's a job that we can't do here in this place. Now, there are certainly people who come to attend church who haven't yet accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we want to care for them and help them see their need for Jesus See the need for forgiveness, the hope that he provides for eternity. But if we're going to encounter people and point them to the Lord, we've got to go where they are. We've got to go find them and be faithful with the message that has been entrusted to us, that we would deliver that message to go and make disciples of all nations. Not when it's convenient, not when we aren't already doing something else. Always, as a... a, consistent, regular, continual part of our lives that we would be going to make disciples of all nations. This message of love and grace is for every person to hear. Grace has no exclusions. Jesus died for the sins of the world, for each and every person to come to an understanding of the freedom that he gives, the forgiveness that he extends into their lives. He died that all might turn to him and find freedom and salvation. But there are times when we begin to practice this, this habit of evangelism that our assumptions exclude people from grace. And we think about the people that we encounter. And we think about what it is to begin a conversation with them about the Lord. And we think, well, they probably don't want to hear me talk about churchy stuff. They're too busy to engage in a conversation about faith. They don't, they don't have time for this, this kind of a talk. They, they have their life put together. They have a nice house, a fancy car. They're successful in what they do. They don't have any real needs that need to be met. They probably don't want to, don't want to participate in this kind of conversation. Maybe it's the other way. Look into the lives of people and think, well, they have enough difficulty on their own. I don't think I need to take time to, to bother them with something else in terms of this conversation. And we make assumptions about the lives of people that keep us from sharing with them the life and hope that's found in Jesus Christ. We should never exclude people from hearing that message. We should never make assumptions that withhold this life-giving message 
from any person, but to be faithful in this instruction to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commands. There's two parts to that process. The first begins with salvation. That we would deliver this message we've been, trusted, we've been entrusted with about the hope that Jesus provides, that the love and grace that was poured out through his sacrifice on the cross, that in him we find freedom from sin. In him we find not only a hope for eternity, but a, a fullness of life here and now, free from guilt and shame, free from the burden and shackles of sin that once entangled us. And when we acknowledge our need for him, and proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of our sins and baptized in his name. We step into this life that's made possible by his love and grace. And it's an exciting and impacting moment. And it's an exciting and impacting moment when we share it with others. And we've, we've witnessed here on, on Sunday mornings when, when an individual makes a decision to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and they're baptized in his name, we celebrate together and we clap and we, we give them a hug and say congratulations and we're praying for you. But that moment isn't the completion of the Great Commission. There's still more work yet to be done. And Jesus isn't calling us just to go and, and make converts. Jesus is calling us to make disciples baptizing them and teaching them obedience to every command that he's given. And every person who accepts Christ as Lord and Savior needs help. They need guidance. They need someone to help teach them what a Christian life looks like, to, to discover what faithful obedience requires of them. And for every person that accepts Christ, we have a responsibility as, as their church to engage in a meaningful relationship with them, to invite them to be a part of our connect group and, and grow in relationships and community, to invite them to, to a Bible study on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, to, to develop an understanding of what it is to study the Word of God. We have a responsibility to begin a relationship, invite them to a cup of coffee and, and talk about our lives and our faith and how we've learned to grow in the Lord and what God is doing in us as he is continually drawing us away from the sin of our past and, and drawing us into him, how we've, we've learned to make those decisions about what, what maturity and obedience looks like on a daily basis. And, and it brings to mind the value of those mentoring relationships that come, that we should be willing to engage in the lives of every new believer and help mentor them and guide them into the life that God is calling them to live. Jesus commanded his disciples to engage in this process as a daily part of their lives, continually working to draw people in to him. And here is the promise he concluded with. He comforted them with a promise. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now Jesus knows and understands how difficult it is for us to engage with people on a, on a spiritual level. He knows it's uncomfortable. He knows it's, it's the kind of conversation that we're going to have difficulty with. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, this, this kind of connection, this kind of depth in our, in our interactions calls us out of our comfort zone, calls us into a place where we feel vulnerable, 
where we feel exposed, where we're, where we're extending ourselves beyond places where we're used to going. And, and here's what he says to us, knowing we're stepping into this realm. Surely I'll be with you always. Do you remember what it was like when you were a teenager? You were preparing to graduate from college and or from high school and set out to college on your own. Or maybe later in life as you were finding an apartment, getting married, buying a house, how uncertain you felt, how hesitant you were to set out on your own. And how reassuring it was to have an adult in your life, a parent, a loved one, a friend, willing to walk with you through that process, to give you advice, to reassure you in those uncertain moments. I remember when my boys were toddlers, as they were discovering the world around them and, and, and every day finding, finding new things to, to try for themselves. As a parent, I wanted them to, to learn how to handle life on their own. And I, I was willing to push them forward to experience things. And I watched in their lives as, as toddlers as they would, they would discover something new. And, and, and I saw in them that same hesitation that I felt at different points in my life, that same uncertainty. And, and you know what toddlers do when they feel that uncertainty and hesitation? They reach up to take hold of a hand. They reach over to grab hold of a leg knowing that having mom or dad with them is this huge comfort and reassurance. This is what, what the Lord provides to us when we step forward into these moments, the reassurance of his presence in our lives, that he's with us, that we're not stepping forward on our own into these uncomfortable moments, that he's carrying us through them and will provide everything that we need to meaningfully engage people in conversation that will help them understand their need for him. And it's important for us as we think about this process of evangelism to be faithful and obedient in this calling, in this commission, in this command of, of Jesus, that we would care about people enough to engage them on a deeper level and help them understand their need for the Lord. In fact, it's the example Jesus gave to us in Matthew chapter 9, we read this, this uh, encounter of Jesus with the crowd. Beginning in verse 35, it says this, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When Jesus saw crowds, his heart went out to them. He had compassion on them. And he recognized in the people that were, that were out there coming to hear him speak, coming to, to experience healing at his touch, that they were a group of people who simply needed the guidance and care of a shepherd. And that's how he's calling us to view every person we encounter. To set our assumptions aside, to, to lay our judgments aside, and simply see every person we encounter as someone who needs the good shepherd, who needs the care that only he can provide, who needs the comfort that comes from a relationship with him, 
who needs the, 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 the sustenance as he leads them to exactly what they need for salvation, that we would have compassion on every person and help them come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as the shepherd who will lead them and guide them and care for them. And notice that Jesus identified where this harvest would take place. It's in the field. As we go and make disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And so we pray and invite God to send out workers in the harvest field, recognizing that we're praying for ourselves as we go and we're faithful to this calling, that we would take part in the process of evangelism and know that there are times when we encounter people that we're going to be planting seeds of faith, that we're encountering them for the first time and pointing them to the Lord. And the planting of those seeds is a critical part of that process. But there are other times we're going to encounter people who have already heard about Jesus. And our interaction with them is a watering of that seed. As we pray for them and encourage them, we are creating the environment for that seed to grow. And maybe there's times when, when someone else has planted a seed, someone has encouraged them and watered that seed, and we're there for the harvest. What we need to remember is that every role that we could play in helping point people to the Lord is a critical, vital, important, valuable role. But the one who's doing the work is the Lord. God produces the growth. And as much as we want to be present in the lives of people to help them turn their lives to the Lord, we have to trust that God is going to be working in their hearts and minds. The Spirit of God is going to be softening their hearts to that message. And what we need to be is faithful to play the role that we're called in their lives, to plant a seed, to water that seed, or be present in the harvest field, faithfully obeying the message of God. So as we recognize the need in our lives, to practice evangelism, to encounter people and point them to the Lord, the question comes, how do we, how do we start? Where do we begin? What should we be doing as we're, we're, we're following through on this great commission of the Lord? I've got four simple practices to help you begin this process. The, the first thing I would suggest for you to do is to provide evidence of the message, that you would recognize that the way you live your life is significant to the message that you carry with you, the message that you've been entrusted with. And your personality, your responses, your interactions with people will provide the evidence of the validity of this message, of the relevance of the message, the reality of whether or not this is a meaningful, true, accurate, life-giving thing. A few weeks ago, we had a message about the importance of our language and how how healthy it is and how holy it is of a habit for us to, to choose to leave behind sarcasm, criticism, negativity, coarse joking, swearing, and instead to be encouraging and kind and compassionate and uplifting, to be optimistic, to, to, to speak words that are full of hope so that we can point people to the Lord. And we recognize how, how critical of a role this plays in our relationships with people, that we would begin laying the groundwork for the gospel message through every interaction we have with people, whether we're, we're encountering them at the supermarket or they're the, the waiter or waitress at the restaurant that we're eating at, that we would take responsibility for every one of those interactions to be an example of what the love and grace of Jesus Christ looks like in our lives, that we would exhibit the kind of life that is full 
of him. So that when it comes time for us to ask, is there anything I can pray for you about? We have time to to listen to the details of their lives and encourage them to to turn to the Lord. They will have already seen that we have experienced the same life-changing encounter with the Lord that we're trying to tell them about. That our lives reflect our relationship with him. Another way that we provide evidence of the validity of the message of the gospel of love and grace of Jesus Christ is by telling our story of how he's freed us from sin as we engage in these conversations to be willing to be vulnerable, to be willing to share how different our lives are now than they were when we encountered Christ, about how he freed us from the bondage and shackles of sin, how he brought to us hope that we could live a life not, not ensnared by temptation, but a life of grace, a life of love, a life free from shame and guilt. And that same freedom is possible in their lives through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. It's a very powerful way to provide proof of the message. The second thing I would encourage you to do as you begin the process of, of engaging in evangelism is to pray. To pray for people that you're going to encounter. And to pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Prayer is a critical part of the preparation that you do to practice evangelism. It helps put your heart and mind in the right place. To make you ready for the kind of spiritual conversations that you're going to have. To remember that while you are faithful, God is the one who's going to make those seeds grow. And as you're praying, you're not just praying for the hearts of people that the Spirit of God would soften them to receive his message, but you're praying for opportunities that you would recognize when the door opens. When you're in the the midst of a conversation, you ask somebody about the weather and they respond and then they begin to talk about some difficulty that they're experiencing and you see that God is preparing the moment for you to say, well, I'd love to pray for you about that. I'd love to have an opportunity to talk to you about Jesus and his love for you, and the hope that he can bring, even in the midst of the difficulty that you're facing, that you would recognize those moments of opportunity, and you would ask the Spirit of God to make you aware of those moments when they come. Prayer is an essential part of evangelism. The third practice I would invite you to engage in is that when you see those doors open, you would step forward into those spiritual conversations, that you would be willing to turn the conversation towards something deeper. Now, there's a lot of risk involved in doing that. And when we begin this process, we have to be willing to overcome our fear of rejection, our fear of of stepping forward with truth, knowing that when we do, some people will, will gladly hear and respond to what it is that we have to say, but there are others who are going to hear about the love and grace of Jesus Christ, and they're going to say, no, thank you. I'm not ready for that right now. And we live in a world where people have gotten accustomed to, to sales calls and, and walking through Walmart and having somebody ask about cell phone use. And, and, and we're, we're a, a cynical, jaded kind of generation that's ready for people to approach us with unsolicited requests. And we've just gotten accustomed to the habit of saying no thank you and moving on our way. And we need to be ready for the fact that when we engage people in conversation about the Lord, many people are just going to automatically say no thank you and walk away. 
But that doesn't mean we haven't made an impact. And planting seeds doesn't mean that we, get pe- we hear from people, yes, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. What we understand planting seeds is having an opportunity to say, God loves you. He wants more for your life. God cares about the difficulty you're encountering, and there's hope for you in Jesus. That those planting of seeds may not make an impact today, but as they're watered, as they're embedded in that soil of the, the heart of a person, God makes them grow. And every opportunity that we have to plant a seed, every opportunity that we have to mention the love and grace of Jesus is an opportunity for the gospel to take root. And we should never miss that moment, even though it means we're going to have to risk hearing the word no. We have to be comfortable knowing that we're still faithful in what it is that God is calling us to do. And we continue to pray for those people and the seeds that have been planted as we continue to care about them and demonstrate the love of the Lord, engaging in those spiritual conversations. The fourth thing I would encourage you to do is to trust the Spirit to guide your conversations with people. We all would like to think that we know exactly what it is people need to hear. We have the right words to say, that we we know how hard to push. But there are a lot of times where we get it wrong. Where we push a little too hard and we turn people away. Where we don't quite push hard enough and we leave people wondering, what exactly are we talking about? And as we we prepare ourselves for these conversations, we, we need to engage in the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible reading and Bible study. We need to lay the foundation in our own hearts and minds so that we have an understanding of the truth to present to people. And as we begin our conversations, we need to be willing to pray and trust the Holy Spirit of the Lord to provide the right words that need to be said at the right time. And we need to be willing to to discern his guidance in that process. That when the doors open, we would step forward in those conversations. And when the doors start to close, we would be okay with that, that guidance of the Spirit to say, you've said enough. You can stop. And sometimes we feel that that moment is a moment of failure because we haven't led someone to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. But just because we haven't been walking with them through the completion doesn't mean that we haven't had success. And God is calling us to be faithful to the role that he has for us to play in their life, whether we're planting seed or watering seed or present for the harvest. What God is calling us to do is to be faithful and to pray and to trust his spirit to be at work drawing people into him. And not get so confident in ourselves that we feel like we have to do that work, but to trust his spirit to do it. We will have opportunity when we live our lives in faithful obedience. We will have opportunity when we live according to the hope that we have in Jesus. When our lives are a reflection of the the fullness of life that comes from him. In fact, when Peter wrote to believers, he, he reminded them of the significance of their own lives in the process of evangelism. Here's what he said. In, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to, to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You think about, think about his words in that, that first verse. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Live in submission to Jesus. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, when you're living your life full of hope, people will want to know why. When you're encountering, encountering the same kind of difficulty in the world around you that everybody else is, and you have a smile on your face, people around you are going to want to know why. When they see conflict in your relationships that doesn't diminish you, but you can still live with hope and a peace in the face of that conflict. People are going to want to know what it is that fills you, what it is that sustains you through the same difficulty in the world that they're experiencing. And you will have an opportunity to give them an answer for the hope that you have and show them how the love and grace of Jesus has changed you and carries you through every difficulty you encounter and helps you live with this joy and hope and love and peace. But it has to be a genuine part of your life to create those moments of opportunity for you, to be faithful and answer those questions, to care for people and point them to the Lord, to help explain that the difference present in you isn't anything about you at all. It's about the presence of Jesus in your life the presence that's possible for them as well when they surrender their lives to him. This is the challenge we face when we engage in evangelism to recognize moments that will change the lives of people and be faithful with the message we've been entrusted with. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the, the commission that you have provided for us. We ask that you would help us see those moments of opportunity and be faithful to follow through, to plant seeds in the lives of people and point them to you. That they would see in us the hope that we have because of your grace, the joy that we have because of your love, the peace that's a part of our lives because we've been forgiven. God, I pray that you would help us to be examples of who you are in the world around us. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.